House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. Welcome to Capital Ideas. This is the podcast where members of the Democratic majority in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol and talk about ideas. It's day 44 of the 60-day 2020 legislative session, and yesterday the House Democratic budget leads released a trio of supplemental spending plans, operating, transportation, and construction. Today we're going to talk with Representative Tim Ormsby, chair of the House Appropriations Committee and principal author of the operating budget. It's a fine budget, but we're not going to get into the details. Instead, this is our chance to find out what it's like to be in Tim's position and what goes into creating a state budget that has to satisfy a majority of lawmakers, the governor, and ultimately a pretty good portion of the 7.5 million people who call Washington home. We recorded this on Monday, February 24th. 2020, and here it is. Welcome, Representative Tim Ormsby. It's great to have you back after a few years, really. Well, it's great to be back, Dan. I always enjoy chatting with you, and I I learned so much from your insightful questions. And vice versa. I want to talk today about the operating budget. You're the chair of the House Appropriations Committee. About an hour ago, you held a press conference and released the House version of the supplemental operating budget for this final year of the current biennium. I don't want to talk about the details of that budget. What I would like to talk about is kind of the process that happens in the background that ends up producing this multi-page document with a whole lot of numbers. Tell me about your role as chair of the House Appropriation Committee. Do you just sit down in a room and write the budget you want? No, it's a team sport by every definition of the word. But beginning with the House Appropriations Committee, the standing committee meets three times a week. It consists of 33 members, so more than a third of the entire chamber sits on the House Appropriations Committee. We do briefings to begin the year to get ourselves in a frame of mind to understand our current circumstances. Throughout all of the large chunks of the budget, the staff, which are amazing, both the caucus staff and our nonpartisan staff, truly amazing, uh, spend the entire interim keeping up on their issue areas, the latest information, sending out updates to members to keep us in real-time touch uh, with changes that are going on in state government. And managing that process and making it efficient is a huge responsibility for the chair, just managing a process to be able to get out a product, the state operating budget, that reflects the values and concerns of the people we are here to represent. Let's say I'm a member of this committee. I show up here on January 13th. I take the oath of office again for the coming year. What's my next step if I'm a member of the House Appropriations Committee? I think what you'd need to do ahead of that first meeting is decide on which issue area or issue areas are of interest to you. It may be K-12 education. It may be higher education. It could be early learning kind of in the education space. It could be social services provided by the Department of Social and Health Services and the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. Those might be of particular interest to you. 
knowing what you're interested in is a good starting point for how you might view what the priorities of government are, both in the areas you're interested in, but in the areas that you haven't identified as something that you want to know more about or come in with an interest. Natural resources is a huge component. Looking at the pie chart of what the state spends money on, it'd be a good place to begin to discern where our resources go and where, as an individual member, you would like to make an impact. In a sense, everybody's a specialist, at least in a couple of things. That's one reason why there's 33 members in there, so that there's basically at least a few members on top of everything. A good point, and that's something that if someone doesn't come in with a natural inclination towards a certain area, but we see a deficit on uh, information technology projects, for example. The state spends a lot of money on IT systems, computer systems, to streamline and advocate. In this day and age of privacy concerns, we have to balance the need for being efficient and using electronic resources that are at our disposal to provide government services, but we also know that there's sensitive information in there. This is not a super sexy topic, but it is a very important as a core function of the state, and we need a subject matter expert in that, as well as the Department of Fish and Wildlife, as well as things like K-12 education. So being a specialist is a good thing. You actually will be given responsibilities as a member to become a subject matter lead for your caucus and for the committee based on the committee's needs and your caucus's interest in finding out more. And it may not be what you came in thinking you would do, but that responsibility needs to be distributed among the members so we don't have big gaps in our knowledge. What you released today is sort of the final draft of the House budget. When did you come up with the first draft? How long have you been tweaking that? We begin on day one, actually prior to even coming to session, to accumulate a foundation of knowledge that you will call on, that you've hopefully recorded and will access the evolution of change since we were last here. And this was an interim between legislative sessions that was extremely busy, where a lot of that information was gathered, and then it gets to be refined. So you will have an idea in an issue area Let's just take the Department of Fish and Wildlife, for example. For so long, the uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife has relied on fees paid by users in order to keep their programs and services functioning. It hasn't worked super well for the department, and it hasn't worked super well for the people that like to access public lands, recreate, know that the habitat for our wildlife is being managed well. And that required not just relying on fees, but actually relying on general fund support, general state resources, in order to make sure that they were functioning. And that was a process that became clear to me over the interim, that we can't just rely on fees. And it also is a public policy issue in the sense that if an agency is largely fee-supported, that means that the people that are paying the fees have great leverage in developing the policy because they are the fund source for that agency to do their mission. When it comes from the general state revenue pool of money, the general fund, it then becomes an interest area for all of us and not just the ones that are particularly interested in the book of business of the Department of Fish and Wildlife. And it isn't just for people that fish and hunt. It is habitat preservation. It is providing recreation opportunities of all different sorts. 
and the realization in this interim was widespread and organically came up through this process of meeting with our constituents and stakeholders uh, on the state level and the department itself. That's something that is new and a very robust investment in the Department of Fish and Wildlife in this supplemental budget because it emerged as an unmet need. At least a portion of that now is coming out of the operating budget. Correct. You've got a finite pool of money. It, it's kind of like a waterbed. If you push down over here, something over there is going to shake. Nice and 1970s reference. <laughs> thank you. Uh, my prime. Mine too. So putting money into fish and wildlife out of the operating budget means that everything else that the operating budget funds, you know, needs to be looking over there going, hey, is that coming out of my part? And you need to be looking at that to say, is that coming out of something that we value a whole lot? Uh, in this particular budget, I know that I said I wasn't going to get into details, but housing and homelessness, that, that kind of linked crisis has been key in this budget. And so is behavioral health and, and a few other things that I won't bother with the details here. But everybody has to kind of play five-dimensional chess trying to figure out how this is going to be funded if that's going to be funded. That is a constant challenge, and it's something that is constantly on our minds. The budget team uh, that meets several times daily for several hours, countless hours, went into developing this budget, and it is something that is in our minds when we're by ourselves. It's something that we express to each other when we're together, that we share with our colleagues whether they're Democrats or Republicans, to identify some of those pressure points. And at the end of the day, when you're looking at making choices, making decisions about the commonwealth of the people of the state of Washington, it is your gut as much as anything that tells you, is this a reflection of the priorities of the members that are on the committee? Because that's kind of where it starts. The House, a larger group, the legislature, the governor's office, everybody in this bubble on campus and in these larger concentric circles out to everybody in this state that there is a balance of investment that meets the needs of the folks in this state at a point in time when we release a budget, negotiate it, and then conclude, and the work is never done. So it's a process, not an event. We have events throughout this process, and we will learn something the next day or immediately following the conclusion of the legislative session that will help inform the next budget when we return next January. I know that you've got other things to do today, including a hearing on this supplemental operating budget that you need to preside over, but a couple more questions. What's the next step now? We're going to have a public hearing on the proposed, uh, the House proposed supplemental budget this afternoon. We will get a lot of input from people. We will, at the conclusion of that hearing, we're going to get together as a leadership team with the speaker and other members of leadership to unpack a little bit of the very busy goings on uh, over the course of the last few days, get everyone up to speed, share information. Then the Senate also released a budget today, we'll be able to unpack a little bit of their thinking, 
Then we begin to uh, address Senate bills that come over that will impact the budget. So House bills we've considered, they went to the floor, they were passed maybe, they went to the Senate, Senate will do the same thing. We have to have hearings on those bills. We have to decide which of those are compatible with our vision of a state spending plan. We will pass Senate bills. We will go to the floor with those bills. This is just appropriations related stuff. There are a lot of Senate policy bills in our policy committees. We will go to the floor with those. We'll pass Senate bills. The Senate will pass House bills. We will have long hearings. Uh, we will have a really long executive sessions that will take care of those Senate bills that we think are appropriate for informing the budget. Then we begin negotiating with the Senate to come to terms uh, and agree on everything. So not one word, not one punctuation mark difference between the two budgets at the end of that negotiating period. We will have reconciled our differences and we will present for the consideration of the House and the Senate a concluded state operating budget at the end of the session. Whatever budget you come up with that both chambers agree on, 90% of the things in that budget are things that Republicans want, Democrats want. It's just the things around the fringe where the differences occur. I think that from watching too much cable news, people don't understand that, that almost everything that goes on down here is bipartisan, except for the few things that they hear about on TV. And that is the case. And the things that we agree on are, as you said, 90%, it may even be more. But where our values uh, aren't aligned exactly on a partisan level, and, and even within the Republicans' caucus, even within the Democrats' caucus, there are differences of view. And so we are not monolithic by party. We are not monolithic by chamber. Turns out the Senate has different ideas than the House at the conclusion uh, of all the process they went through. So we only hear about the differences because uh, it's not great news to talk about things we agree on that there's no dispute over. And, and I think we have a good working relationship both within our caucus and across the aisle. It is very important to our budget team to be fair, firm, and consistent in the application of our rules. So it's not one set of rules for Democrats and a completely different set of rules for Republicans. When we're the public-facing committee about the state's budget, everyone gets equal treatment. If that means if it's a good thing, if it's an admonishment or a critique, it gets doled out evenly, regardless of the person, their party, the area they represent. We, we want, most of all, the process to have integrity because that's the best way to ensure that we'll get a product that's not necessarily agreed to but that everyone can say it was a fair process and the majority of members agree that's how we should expend and invest state resources. Okay, very last question. Former Speaker Frank Chop used to say that the budget is a moral document. How would you define the state operating budget? 25 words or less. The state operating budget is a reflection of the values of the communities that elect someone to come here and be their voice. Thank you so much, Tim. I look forward to talking with you on a daily basis, but in front of these microphones, it's, it's a real treat, and I uh, appreciate you coming by. I always value being able to interact with you, Dan. It, it helps me organize my thoughts in a way that makes it digestible, and I appreciate that. Thank you.
If you know more than you did 15 minutes ago, today's Capital Ideas was a success. Why not subscribe at housedemocrats.wa.gov or use whatever podcast app or website you're partial to. Here's why. This is your state government. As you just heard, the things that happen here matter a lot. The more you know about how it works, the better it can work for you, your family, your community, and for everyone. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening.